Hey Carmen. Hey Frida, what's up? So I'm reminiscing about our early days as roommates in New York City when oh we were God. like constantly dishing about our upbringing, which was like the filter with which both you and I saw the world. And yeah. one thing we got into so, so many times was the difference in the way we were treated as Latina women, as Cuban women, as Cuban girls growing up and how different we felt we were being raised from our fellow, you know, boys. I mean, yeah, that's not so far-fetched because I think ultimately that this is still relevant. I think you're reminiscent about this time in our lives that we were like spending together, which like, I'm sorry, RIP, end of an era. It makes me so sad. But at the same time, I also remember those conversations were happening during a time when a lot of those attitudes were really relevant. You you know, you were working in an atmosphere where you were surrounded by Latino people. And so the same sort of constructs kind of continued on in your professional life. And mm-hmm. I had obviously been, you know, living my own life and, as well and noticing them express themselves in my life as well. And we kept asking ourselves, like, well, what, ha- like, why are we like that? You know, why, why, why do we have such a double standard when it comes to not only... Not only the way that we interact with each other now as adults, but also we were able to even think about how it existed back when we were younger and growing up in Miami. So if you don't already know, welcome to Take It Easy. We are Carmen and Frida, (laughs) and we make this podcast where we talk all about being Cuban-American. We were both born in Cuba and raised in Miami, and that is the context that we're talking about, being around Latino people in Miami and always growing up around Cubans. Yeah, we also talk a lot about the experience of being raised by immigrants and the kind of perspective that our parents had while raising us in a new country and what that does to our psyche and what it does to how we see everything. This is definitely one of those things, the way in which we both saw the elements of a Cuban household and how gendered our experience was. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that we have some really interesting perspectives because, Frida, you're an only child. Whereas I have a brother, so I think we were able to observe a lot of these differences at being girls, but from different perspectives. Yeah, <laughs> I'm an only child. I feel like I was just like that little quiet girl in the corner taking notes, you know, and I was just like, <laughs> you I was actually taking were, notes I on remember. all of you. <laughs> I was, I was like, you know. Frida the <laughs> lurker, Frida the green. <laughs> Yeah. But you know, Frida, one thing that I have noticed, though, not just talking about this with you, but also talking about this with other Latina women. And I feel like this is a very Latina woman sentiment. Like across the board, I feel like a lot of the other women that I know that come from like other Caribbean countries, from Mexico, from Latin America. And Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of them are like, wow, me too. That happened. That's exactly how I was raised. Yeah, yeah. I feel like with just like minor differences here and there and little quirks here and there, Mm -hmm. like we managed to relate to each other. It kind of brings up this question of immigrant culture, right? That you are a little bit closer to the way that things were back in the home country, the closer you are to the immigrant of Mm -hmm. that home country. And I think that has really shaped a lot of this double standard that we're talking about. Because I think if I really put myself in my parents' shoes, I'm able to see how actually the way that they did things in their eyes was super, super progressive because the way they were raised back in Cuba was even way more restrictive and way, way more gendered. Oh my God, totally. The difference between 
like my grandmother's life and then my mom's life and now my life is like they are miles away from each other like my grandmother at like 14 years old was like a honey farmer who like stopped going to school and eventually got picked up by my grandfather in like a horse and they like went away off to the other side of town like nearly eloped and that was like a super super dramatic thing they had to go back and get married they've been married like forever but that is like a very very traditional story that like would not happen today and to be um, honest with you Frida when you told me that story i was like oh yeah that's normal <laughs> like, yeah like from there to today is it, it's such a leap. different world yeah and <laughs> our parents have done a lot to like adjust mm-hmm quite a bit yeah and then like as (laughs) and then as children of immigrants you kind of you develop this natural maturity where you're able to see things like gender constructs really early on because you start to do you start to navigate the world around you to help your parents actually you know navigate their immigrant life yeah and you learn this country a lot faster you learn english a lot faster i remember translating a lot of paperwork and being being consulted with as like the one who was better at communication and stuff you know what I what I realized like like you said we got very early practice being translators and we don't just mean literally translating from English to Spanish and back and forth but being like cultural translators like mm-hmm. taking cultural context and understanding that the context that our parents come from is different culturally from the context of the country that we're in and like balancing that and and navigating that. And I think that's like a very uniquely, you know, first generation immigrant experience. And I think here we are kind of doing a continued cultural translation, even as yeah. we make this podcast and even talk about the, these Whoa. subjects. You just blew my like, mind with that, that, that one. <laughs> yeah, I know. Me too. I blew my own mind. <laughs> oh, I live for these moments. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And and as we navigate this existence and I continue to think about our, our parents, you know, and I, you know, as I said, you you really put yourself in their shoes I continue to try to do that and I I also realize how going back to how we were raised right I realized that we were also expected to to be this window right into this new world Mm -hmm. that we were in but at the same time maintain intense respect for our elders and never contradict them and I find that to be always a very a very delicate line because that's a contradiction that is a contradiction (laughs) because you literally know more than they do (laughs) <laughs> you, about something you still have to trust them to like wield power over you it's wild yeah that's that's the other balancing act and another thing that weaves itself into our perception of like who has power in the household and who has power in in the relationships that we Th- have those are all of the gears in the machine and now we are about to show you how they all turn I'm even I'm excited I want to find out (laughs) that was some gold that came out of me sorry guys I know (laughs) oh do not apologize for that (laughs) Frida we need to start collecting weird laughs I want to make an episode that's like the ministry of Frida laughs please (laughs) let's do this or maybe occasionally if I have a good one but I feel like I don't have good ones (laughs) The percussion and the bass line for that song is going to be me clearing my throat over and over again. Oh my again. god, you clearing your throat or, or cracking, cracking your knuckles? cracking my knuckles as the percussion. We got this. We're going to make a new Take It Easy theme song and it's all going to be, it's going to be really disgusting. Um, 
<laughs> I'm dying. Okay, sorry. Let's go back. Um, yeah. So well, I'm keeping this. So um <laughs> And now for our feature presentation. Yeah, so what we're going to actually talk about is gender roles as we learned them in the household and now as we unlearn them everywhere else. So we begin with disclosing that we are both white presenting cisgendered women. We have no idea what it's like to to truly inhabit another role. We don't know what it's like to be a Cuban boy growing up. We don't know what it's like to be black or Afro-Cuban. So yep. that's where we're coming from as we describe our relationship with gender growing up. And speaking of that, we're going to start talking about certain outlooks and beliefs that we think like really guided the way that we were raised and the way that we like understood ourselves as as girls growing up. And one of them was like this understanding that the outside world, like the world outside your home or the world outside like your little family group is a dangerous place for a girl. Like the world is out there to hurt you and you as a girl must be protected in several ways, including but not limited to not leaving the house. Right. I remember I I wasn't really allowed out of the house unchaperoned until I was like 16. And even then it was like a whole ordeal. Yeah. Interestingly, when I was really young, like a little kid, I could get out of the house and just play outside and run around. But once I turned into a teenager, I guess when puberty hit, some new rules started to apply to me. It started to dawn on me that things had really changed for me and my role. Not for nothing, but when I like, I've, I've met people who are not immigrant, not Latino now in the U.S. because I live Miami. And I've met their families and I've seen their teenage kids just like driving in and out of the house and not telling the parents where they're going. Oh and my I'm God. just like, what? Yeah. This is heaven? This is heaven or hell. I don't know what it is. It's something really special. It's something weird. And I was like, this is so American, you know? No, seriously. And that, it's one of that the things that would never happen like, in a Cuban household. Absolutely not. Are you kidding me? If mm-hmm. I went out two days in a row, my parents would have been like, está saliendo mucho. <laughs> and <Yes>. honestly, like, <laughs> looking back now, like, if we really want to, if we really want to, we can unpack that. That is the perfect sentiment because it's not explicitly telling you that there's anything wrong with this. Like, you're not being accused necessarily it's more just being pointed out that you're going out a lot but the tone with which it's said is very accusatory and to be honest with you going back to all of these contradictions that we're talking about I was always very confused by that because it's like you know that there is something wrong because this thing is being pointed out to you and you know that that the reason why it's being pointed out to you is because there's something bad about it. But honestly, maybe I'm just stupid, but I never understood what was the problem with going out a lot. Like that, I never put those two things together. I was just like, yes, facts. Like, congratulations, Captain Obvious. You're also super direct, (laughs) Carmen. So like when someone's telling you, like if your mom's telling you, hey, you're going out a lot, you're just like, yeah, I am. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm the most annoying kid. Honest, okay. And I never clapped back by being like, congratulations, Captain Obvious, because I value my life. But really, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be like, what is the, like, why are you telling me this? <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so the the other side of it is that boys around the same age as us weren't being told the same thing. They were pretty much allowed to roam free. And 
there was a kind of boys will be boys attitude behind it. Like no one was ever criticizing them because they could do whatever they wanted. And so when they became men and they went through puberty, they actually had an increase in freedoms. At least from my perspective, that's what I was always seeing. Mm-hmm. There's a switch. An entire difference between raising a girl and raising a boy in like this cu- in a Cuban household, where if you're raising a girl, you are a helicopter parent, and if you're raising a boy, you're a free range parent or a parent who just kind of like gets out of the way and lets them be themselves and sow their oats. So boys could like go out and stay out until late. They could they would get cars earlier. A lot of times they were like given things so that they would still stick around and not leave the house and like. I think sometimes parents considered it a blessing if, like, the boy came back at all. (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, I know, right? And they could also bring, like, their girlfriends home. And, again, this is, like, a huge generalization. But, like, this is, for me, what I will define as, like, teenage Cuban boy getting to do whatever they want. I'm still bitter. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to our therapy session. (laughs) I know. (laughs) This is why I think it's the best to be a Cuban little brother because you get yes. to see you get to see your older sister mess up but she's always going to have less freedom than you will so you get to only look forward to getting older. Yeah, and on top of that, oh my god, this is not even something we're covering here, but Cuban parents have such a tendency to baby their kids a lot of the time. So Oh my like, god, yeah, I know. This <laughs> younger boy is like a prince. A principito. Un principe. <laughs> I start to wonder how much of this is due to the actual very real dangers of existing as a woman in this world. And let's face it, when you and I were growing up in Miami, it was not necessarily the safest time in Miami. I think there was one year I think I read, loosely don't quote me on this, but I think at some point Miami was considered like one of the most or if not the most dangerous city in the United States. Like, am I crazy to think that? No, 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 it was. It was. And it was around the time. It was like the 80s and then the 90s and we were there then and uh, there were shootouts everywhere. Hide your kids, hide your wife. 100%. Hide your kids, hide and you know what? And that is what was happening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and to be honest with you, now I, I um, obviously, you know, I still experience, I get, get catcalled and I still experience all of these things. And like, obviously, like the patriarchy is raging strong elsewhere. But I remember that growing up in Miami, things like getting catcalled and, and being treated like with like basically almost being stalked and stuff like that type of thing was so commonplace that I almost thought yes. that it was just part of life. I thought it was so, so normal that I would, like, walk out of my house just for, like, a little stroll and, like, there could be a car starting to roll up slowly behind me yeah. and, like, starting to, you know, starting to tell me things. And I was probably, like, 13 or 14 years old when these things would happen. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so, same. But, but here's the thing, like, what is happening out there is, like, we're being thoroughly sexualized, like, from a very, very young age and... I think that, like, the same exact structures that say that, like, women have to stay inside are the same structures that enable men to feel that we're, like, a target on on the outside world. And so, like, this all weaves together. But I wonder how much truly we can attribute all of that to this idea that women just have to belong in the home because that is where their services are needed and where they should be. And also like two birds, one stone, you're keeping them safe from this terrible world that we live in. It's almost like one one thing facilitates the other, but they're not necessarily correlated, if that makes any sense. 
And mm-hmm. I think that if you come from that perspective and you're a parent and you're seeing the world how it is and you have young daughters, then like, of course, like it makes a hundred percent sense that you would be more protective. However, at the mm-hmm. same time, like you as the teenager, you're like, oh my God, I just want to go to the movies and I don't want to have to ask for permission two weeks ahead of time. And I don't want to have to provide a guest list ahead of time. And like, you don't need to set up meetings with their parents ahead of time to make sure that they also come from decent, good families. Like, I I could also just go to the movies for two hours and like maybe like, I don't know, hold hands with a boy and like kiss or something like that could be normal. That could just be accepted. Oh, that that was really tender, Carmen. Is this your therapy session now? Like, this is definitely like my take, therapy session. We both take turns being like, if only this had happened. I know, but it's like you're, you, as the parent, you're like, must keep my children safe, and as the kid, you're like, oh my god, I I just I'm a teenager. I have Here, hormones. I have I need to do things with my hormones. Look, like our job, our job with this with this topic right now is to inhabit all of the spaces. Like we're gonna inhabit mommy, daddy, and be like, yeah, I get you, but we're also so gonna inhabit the horny teenager okay. yeah maybe that one a little bit more <laughs> no but what i mean to say is that like once you get to be a teenager like that is the time of your life when you're exploring the existence of your body and you know just how you navigate in social spheres and there's a lot of stuff happening with your body there's a lot of changes going on not only you know puberty but even also just your sense of identity you're learning all of these things it's normal that you want to go out of the four walls that you were raised in and actually try to experience the world, it kind of starts to feel like house arrest after a while. Okay, you know what I'm imagining? There are these scenes in TV where people like morph into werewolves (laughs) and stuff like that. I think that the whole entire phase of being a teenager is this morphing phase. Like it's really painful and you also occasionally look a little disgusting while you're changing, but we inhabit that whole sensation and it is such a like a a difficult time to be constrained. And you just want to go to the movies. You just want to go to Dave and Buster's. You just want to, like, chill in a parking lot out of somebody's trunk and drink a Four Loco. Like, whatever. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the thing about the world being a dangerous place for a woman is that you're not protecting them from just having fun. I know we've brought up a couple of, like, pretty valid reasons why you might want to protect your daughter. Like, physical danger. But... There's another layer to this. Like, there's another thing that you are so-called protecting, and it's it's their purity. As young women, the idea of you being pure and you being, like, sexually pure and pure in your mind is still something that is placed on a pedestal. And so there's even more constraining that happens so that you as a young woman don't end up becoming impure. I can't help but think that a lot religion has something to do with this because yeah. purity is is an important thing in religion. A lot of the times this is a marker that signifies that a woman is, you know, more godly or closer to God and I'm not saying that it's really that serious at this level, but I think that that undertone is what ends up informing this idea of purity. And I think the part that weirds me out the most is that purity then starts to imply this concept of possession, right? Like, like it means like the, mm. the minute a woman has sex, she has now been imprinted on in some kind of way. And we had, we as a society with these sort of religious values that we may or may not be holding at the forefront are driving this idea. And we've collectively decided that this is important enough that now we have to enforce it. 
Yeah, uh, like these concepts, purity, virginity, which are just concepts that we've like arranged for, create a really fragile state for girls. And when we're in a society like a Latino society where we strongly believe in these things and strongly believe in these values, it becomes very dangerous for you to be out there as a woman Mm because you do apparently have to be protected. And the thing is like, If we fast forward a little bit, we grow up to think that it's okay to be possessed by men. It's okay to be in a relationship where someone else is really possessive. Once you get older and you have to actually navigate with these tools that you have been handed that you didn't really ask for, but you're like, this is what I got. (laughs) And uh, it becomes a lot to undo, basically. And I think it comes from this perspective that boys have like some kind of like nature. Like you hear a lot about women's limitations and we're talking about a lot of them right now, but you don't hear anything about how we speak to men and boys about like not being shitty. In this whole conversation around protection, you're not focused so much on keeping your son from being a danger to other girls. You're keeping your daughter inside to avoid the dangerous boys. Right. And it, <laughs> it's it's ridiculous. And also, it, it reduces little boys and men to just animalistic tendencies that, that they almost can't control. Like, really? Like, you really don't give men that much credit? I think we should. I think yeah, we, we have to we have to give men as people the opportunity to be empathetic and to see women as other people and to use basic concepts like consent. So this really rolls into another concept that really perpetuated our upbringing as Latina women, as Cuban American women, and it's that girls have to keep your legs closed and boys can go off and sow your oats and do whatever you want and have a bunch of girlfriends all over town and like come and bring them back home. You know, mom will serve you dinner. And anyway, sorry, mom I sound bitter. Mom will serve you dinner. I, oh, am, I It's true though. Have, mom will definitely serve you dinner. And it's gonna be she will problem. definitely do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. The mother will serve you dinner. But she might have some suspicions about the girl that you're out with because she's a girl whose parents would let her go Be, yeah, to, out to some boy's to house. To a boy's house. So yeah. it's, that's a, that's a double-edged sword. Yeah. Yeah. D- boys definitely get a lot more freedom. Like you said, with these animalistic tendencies, they're expected to have like needs and expected to be allowed to do these things like I don't remember there being as much judgment unless you were incredibly religious around virginity for a boy yeah Um, but it was really intense if you're a girl it was like god Mm -hmm. keep you know you better not like (laughs) it's not even that we we deny that girls have any sort of needs either you know to be euphemizing it's not that that we do that because I've seen women be like sassy women who are especially like using like feminine wiles and like flirtatious methods. Well, to, that's like, true. That's cut totally into men. supported. That in is cu- like Cuban culture. At. Yes. Like that's yeah, that's always a good a good thing. And so it's not even that we expect women to be just like quiet and humble or anything like that or modest. It's it's also it's just that for, I you know I am I am beginning to understand that I I am just thoroughly confused by our entire upbringing because I'm like how does it make any sense? Yeah, like how does it make any sense? Because like look with all of these things in the same upbringing, I'm also given a lot of independence to make choices in my life and also yeah. like so everything literally everything contradicts itself. Okay, <laughs> we're gonna have to deal with that. Yeah, we're gonna have you know to deal what? with the multitudes. Yeah, so we're totally full of all of these contradictions. And at the end of the day, I just, I can't help but ask myself, 
is sex really the worst thing that could happen? Like, really? One of the more provocative questions we've had on this podcast. So you're keeping women at home. But you got to keep them entertained. Like, you can't just be, you can't just keep your girl at home. Okay. You got to be like, here, have some drawers. Entertain yourself. Have some drawers? Chores. Like, like, oh, chores. (laughs) I thought you were literally going into cleaning the drawers. No. Like, gaveta. Chores. And I was like, yeah. Whenever I was bored growing up, whenever I was bored growing up, my mom was just like, ponte a limpiar. I mean, yeah. No, <laughs> but seriously. I never did. I knew that cleaning was a girl thing. And as a result, I rejected it. And I was also kind of lazy. So I was just like, nah. Same. I never did that. And I fully accepted the consequences. I was like, absolutely no way am I going to clean. I need to go through with this protest. Mostly because for me, it was a double whammy. Like I said, I have a brother. So he was never asked to clean. He had like, you know, like boy things that he had to do. Like he had to wash the cars. But he only had to do that. Like, I don't know, like. Not as often. My mom would be like, you have to clean every day. You have to set the table. There's be like all of, I had like a laundry list of things I needed to do daily. And I would be like, the fuck, I'm going to do all of that. <laughs> I'm going to sit look, here and read my book. Look, I remember going to someone's house and this woman, she was like a friend of the family and she only had sons. My mom let me stay with her for like an afternoon, probably to take care of me just while my mom had to do something. And while I was with her, she was like, oh, I'm so excited. I only have sons and I finally have like a girl here. You're like my daughter, you know, which which she had me do all day clean. She had me clean with her all day. And she was just like, I'm so glad you're here. My sons can't do this. So I'm so glad I have a daughter with me today to clean. Literally, I still remember. I still remember. I think was the first time I used Windex. No, Frida, like, you got Annie'd. I, I did. I got Cinderella, my friend. Did you tell your mom? Oh, well, afterwards, of course, this woman's just like, Ay, me ayudo a limpiar. And my mom was just like, que bueno. You know, of course they were happy <laughs> I helped them to clean. You know, like that was what a good girl would do. And so I did it. I know oh, I said I rejected cleaning from my mom. But if I was over at someone else's house, my God, I was going to be good. No, of so. course, because you need to protect the family honor. Okay, like if that lady was like, oh, I asked her to clean. And she said, no, your mom would have been like, wow, what the greatest disappointment ever. Greatest <laughs> disappointment. And I just realized now, I was like, what the heck? Like, she had me over to take care of me. She wasn't, like, having me play. She wasn't, like, she was having me clean. And on top of that, literally explaining to me how much her sons who were there couldn't possibly do this. Because they were boys. Because they were boys. They were boys. (laughs) And so, like, I learned by association and by literally having the task, you know, shown Mm -hmm. to me that it was something that was clearly delineated between boys and girls. Yeah, the cleaning thing is clearly a sore point. I feel like even now I find myself occupying this role in in group settings where this is not necessarily expected of me. But like I'm always the person who brings everybody water to the table. I'm always the one who like brings everybody napkins and like ushers everybody to like a bakery to go get, you know, sober at the end of the night, like and drink coffee. Like I feel like I'm always at this point assigning that role to myself because I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh, this is just what you do. You do that. Absolutely. You take care of people a lot. And I've been called very motherly. And I'm just like, I think you are. I kind of like learned to be very like paying close attention to how to take care of others. I know older siblings who take this on as well. But this is another 
Another thing to add to the list of things that you kind of perceive as a woman growing up. This doesn't happen everywhere. There's a lot of like awesome Cuban men who are cooking, who are cleaning and are doing all that stuff. But it's in there's a lot of situations mm-hmm. where that does not happen at all. Yeah. And the women take it all on. Like at the end of the night at a party, it's 3 a.m. And like the women are literally cleaning everything and the men are still having their beers and they're being told by the woman to help clean. I will definitely say that it's not that men don't have any responsibilities. It's not like they're laying on their asses all the time. Just like, yeah. you, know, you know, it's not like that. But what I will say is that there are gendered responsibilities for them as well, right? So they do man things. That can be stuff like filling up the gas tank for all the cars once a week, washing the cars, mowing the lawn, like fixing stuff around the house, like that type of thing. But like a man can get away with doing none of that and a household wouldn't run without a a woman's contribution in a Cuban sphere. It would never happen. Growing up, my mom was always saying things like, what would happen if I wasn't around to clean up after you all? Or what would happen if I wasn't around to do this or do that? Or... No one helps me in this house. And like, these are just all things that she felt. And I realized like... Yeah, yeah, because it's it's true. Because it's all true. Because it's true. (laughs) Because women don't get any help in the home. And and on top of that, Frida, like Cubans are... I know that they are one of the most like equally educated populations. Like women get into STEM at high rates. Like that is not an issue. Um, And it's still expected, for example, for women to go through and have these like amazing careers and then also like maintain the home. But... You know, none of your ambitions outside the home should ever take priority over, you know, your obligations to your home and your family. It's it's I feel like that's definitely how it's written into law. And here's how we know this. okay? Carmen and I both for sure knew girls slash teenagers who got into college and got into all sorts of colleges all over the country and decided that they would go or that they would want to go to a college that wasn't right in Miami. There's enough women that I know that were disowned by their parents or told by their parents that they would be kicked out of the house immediately or told by their parents that they would not get the money. I was very hurt to see that go on around me because something that really felt like such a wonderful achievement. And it was only women, as far as I remember, who were getting punished for wanting to leave the so-called responsibilities of their family. Yeah, and it was almost kind of like an abandonment, you know, like the family felt like they were abandoned by their daughter. Yeah, and that's because as a woman, you're assumed that you're going to be taking care of people. Like even young women who weren't threatened with something ridiculous for leaving, they ended up staying because they felt guilty or felt responsible to their family. So like I knew enough young women at that time who stayed behind. Mm-hmm. 100%. There's actually an entire episode of Que Pasa USA, which if you didn't know anything about Que Pasa USA, it was a sitcom show that came out in the 70s on PBS about a family that was Cuban and immigrated to the US and lived in El Exilio, the you know exiled experience. And we did an, one episode where we broke down an episode from Que Pasa USA. Yeah, and that dealt By with the racism. Way. But we're now talking about Pepe y Juana, which are the show's protagonists. They are the mom and dad of the family. Juana, the mother, wants to go to get Juan's. some kind of... She wants to... <laughs> Frida, you're the worst. I'm sorry. 
In this episode, Juana wants to go get a certification in accounting so that she can get a promotion at work. And it means that she's going to be home from work later than usual because it's right after work. And Pepe has oh, a no. whole fit. He's like, absolutely not. Who's going to cook? Who's going to clean? Who's going to, you know, what the heck? No, absolutely not. I prohibit you. And she's like, what are you going to do to stop me? And he's just like, oh, you can't use the car. And she's like, you mean my car that I paid for it? And he's like, okay, fine. Know that I don't agree with this and that your husband doesn't approve of this. And then the entire episode is everybody just being like upset that the house is like falling apart and like dirty and like people are doing everything wrong. And she's just like, I don't even care. I'm I'm trying to get my certification and all you guys can live like pigs. It doesn't bother me. Like, it's all good. <laughs> and they relate to that so hard. That sounds like another example of Que Pasa USA making like a really, really, really good episode and tackling something very real. Carmen, you said you relate to it so hard. And yet, like, we couldn't see necessarily that same exact scenario happening in our families today. No, definitely um, not. We we still relate to women feeling the intense responsibility to keep everything clean and tidy and to take care of everyone, especially taking care of the children. And so here's the difference now. Now it's more like, well, yeah, of course you can go get your certification, but can you also clean and take care of the children? Like do it all? Yeah. Like I think that's what happens now. It's like even worse. But okay, (laughs) what I want to say about that episode and what I thought was just so genius about the writing of it is that there is a point in which Juana just stops caring, right? That's every mother's like true dream to because like that's just the one thing. day stop caring and exactly. for the house to fall apart. Whatever. That is the most freeing moment. And that is the thing that doesn't really happen to a lot of Cuban women. They just continue like aguantando, right? And they just like continue. Because that, that sense of duty, that sense of obligation, that Mariana Grajales Dude, I was just thinking Mariana Grajales too. Yeah, we did an episode on the mother of all Cubans, Mariana Grajales, and how badass and amazing she was, but also how incredibly demanding and incredibly, you know, intense she was. And uh, yeah, go listen to that. But anyway, yeah, so I feel like that is the most empowering moment when you as like the woman of the house, like the matriarch of the house has decided, you know what, fuck it. (laughs) Que se joda todo, who gives a shit? (laughs) That's yeah, the best. because here's here's the thing. Here's the thing. You take care of everything in the house, right? You're responsible for all of these things. But yet, but yet, who gets to make all the final decisions? Or who is Not assumed her. to be making the final decisions and to be dealing with finances, even if you both make the same amount of money? It's it's him. It's a very common phrase to hear a man say, like, Yo soy el hombre de la casa, or I'm a man of the house. And similarly, it's really common to hear women or mothers say like that they have to consult with your dad before they make any big decision. So that really puts women in this kind of subservient position of being like, okay, you are the patriarch of this house and I am below you. Even in relationship dynamics where a woman really has a quote unquote stronger personality is like more demanding and stuff. She still tends to ask for permission from the man. And in some ways, she kind of has to... Typically in that dynamic, 
maybe the man winds up being a little bit more flexible on things. And so it's seen as though she's kind of like manipulative and, you know, she can't she can't just assert. Right. It's never seen as like that woman is assertive. It's seen more like, oh, he she has to convince him. And then obviously he's like on board with the decision. This stuff always annoys me because like there's all of these like terrible stereotypes about women and terrible stereotypes about Latino women, like about them being controlling or demanding or nagging and and all of that and manipulative. And these are things that are behaviors that are sometimes necessary if you're not in a position of power, when you are forced to play the role of convincing a man to do what you want rather than just being able to do the thing outright yourself. And so while I do not condone anyone who would actually be controlling, I say these stereotypes come out of this power imbalance. Yeah, and it's almost like you can't even avoid the power imbalance because you are raised also thinking that marriage and children are definitely, you know, in your future. Like, if you don't grow up and do the thing and then get married and have children, like, what are you even doing? Like, already these constructs are imposed on you and that becomes part of the manual that you're handed down, right? In addition to all of these double standards. It's also negating the fact that both of those things are often more burdensome in this particular ecosystem to women than they are to men. Because who physically has to grow that baby, birth it, and then keep it alive and take care of it? Women. (laughs) And who has to run the household and make sure that everything is clean, everybody is fed and clothed? Women. Who also still has to have a career and make something of herself so that she's not boring or that she's also contributing to the household? Women. Who stays up cleaning at 3 a.m. when you're drunk as fuck, cleaning up after your ass in the party because you don't want to wake up to a dirty house? Women. (laughs) So you see where I'm going with this? Like, it is ordained that you get married and you have children, but both of these things are incredibly burdensome. And also you need to, like, live your life and you don't get to opt out of that. It's just a power structure that is, is imposed on you. You don't really get to choose it. It is totally burdensome for women. And it's not optional a lot of the times for women to be in this arrangement because men, on the other hand, can volunteer to become more involved fathers. But well, women are like mandatory. Like Not only that, but like else, also like how are you going to get out of your house? Like you're literally not allowed to leave your house. You have to get married. <laughs> so let's not forget that part. <laughs> uh, oh, so yeah. Carmen, you're saying like traditionally you're not allowed to leave your house until you get married. Right. That's the expectation. Is what you're saying. Which yeah. clearly has not happened to either Carmen or me. Thank you, Mommy no, Papi, definitely. again. But, um. <laughs> but, but I want to say that this particular arrangement actually, you know, winds up expressing that way where like women are expected to stay with their parents until they get married. So a lot of women wind up getting married in, in part to also be able to leave the house. And that's often also not a good reason to get married, whereas men don't necessarily need to factor that in when they decide whether or not they want to marry someone or whether or not they can or want to leave the house that they grow up in. Men can actually choose to do that. And when it comes to having kids, like, yeah, men men can choose to be involved fathers and they can be like, see you later. See you later. I've heard a saying that men don't pick up or carry children. I think it's like a really antiquated saying, but it's like this belief that is sometimes passed down in families that like, that's not something men will do. Like, it's just kind of like, men aren't really there for the children. I mean, bunch of lovely Cuban fathers do not do any of this, but it's still, it's still culturally acceptable to not really be 
as involved as the women are. You know, Carmen, you and I have been like just basically complaining about all the different ways that like women suffer from these kinds of standards and these this kind of arrangement and being raised in this way. Men have a very, very strict standard placed upon them as well. They're often burdened with the responsibility of taking care of a family financially and in terms of resources. And so like if you're in a family, for instance, where like the dad isn't around as much and you're like the older brother, you're suddenly the man of the house. Mm-hmm. And so that same man of the house. That's a lot of pressure. D- certainly benefits role. some men, but... It is not great for like the 16 year old boy who's now responsible financially for the household because they're the man of the house. Yeah, there's a there's like things like this, but that we don't know as intimately because we we didn't suffer their consequence. We didn't suffer the consequences of being a boy growing up. We certain we certainly suffered on the other side of things. That's all. And you know how we just said that it's kind of written into the manual that if you're a girl that you're gonna grow up and then you're gonna get married and you're gonna have children. There's actually a literal manual, and it's written by Jose Mardi. And I just felt like we needed to say that in this episode <laughs> because how could we re- how could we make an entire episode where we talk he about how we were raised as little boys and little girls and we don't talk about Jose Mardi? <laughs> Who literally wrote a manual for how little boys should behave and how little girls should behave. <laughs> so it, It's called it, La Edad del Oro. It's called La Edad de Oro. At the time when he started publishing it, it was actually a magazine that came out and it was for children and it was aiming to entertain them and stimulate them into thinking critically and like navigate the the world that they were in and serve also as a, a guide to help them grow up, you know, with virtue and i don't know patriotic sentiment or something who knows yeah anyway so but now you can find this book on amazon and everywhere basically and they always include this this note that he wrote it's kind of like a prologue for this book where he begins to very explicitly outline how little boys should be and how little girls should be so learn all about jose marti by listening to our Jose Marti episode. Yeah, we're about to rip into him, but we actually love him. Yeah, he's amazing. He's this really admirable figure in Cuban history. But he also wrote this manual, okay? And in the manual, it says, El niño ha de trabajar, de andar, de estudiar, de ser fuerte y de ser hermoso. And oh my God, he writes it so pretty. This is why I, I know, love him. Because he's a poet. He's still, he didn't say anything wrong. No, he just says not. that the little boy has to work, has to explore, study, be strong, and be handsome. Yeah. No, yeah. no big deal. Just no big you know. deal. This is the expectation, by the way. Oh, and and if you're ugly, do not worry, porque el niño puede hacerse hermoso aunque sea feo. Un niño Aww. bueno, inteligente y aseado siempre es hermoso. Oh, a good boy who's intelligent and wise is always handsome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So he goes on to describe little boys and how they should also treat their female counterparts. And he, you know, describes the behavior as very gallant and very chivalrous. He's kind of promoting those ideas and saying that you should be nice to girls and you should always, you know, bring them friendship and bring them flowers. All beautiful things. Who doesn't want this? I want flowers and friendship. Thank you. Um, But the thing is that then he gets to little girls and he says, Las niñas deben de saber 
saber lo mismo que los niños para poder hablar con ellos como amigos cuando vayan creciendo. Como que es una pena que el hombre tenga que salir de, de su casa a buscar con quién hablar, porque las mujeres de la casa no sepan contarle más que de diversiones y de modas. That is such an underhanded insult. Oh, my oh, God. Because he says, Hold he me says, back. Hold me Carmen, back. am I holding you back or are you going to say something? <laughs> no. What does he say? <laughs> he has basically said little girls should be equal to little boys, but only so that Great. when little boys come home or, you know, when little boys grow up to be men and exactly, they come when home. They, no, but they literally come home. The boys, again, are outside the home and then they because come home. And then that's and the, the women girls are, are because, home. duh. That's what uh -huh. the girls are there in their cage. And <laughs> Waiting for when the men come home so that they can talk. And they better be worldly because they better have better conversation than just what's in fashion. And, you know, gossip. basically mumblings. Yeah, gossip. So, yeah. So, like, he was kind of <laughs> saying, like, the reason oh that you should be an equal little girl is so that the men, when they come home, aren't, like, Why are they only talking about fashion? You can't be boring, <laughs> girls. You cannot be you boring. You can't be boring. And look, here's the thing about dissecting this is that we're we're dissecting someone who writes beautifully and someone who we do respect as an individual, mm -hmm. but we're still seeing in his writings the indications that these divisions and these different roles and these ideas exist in this society. Like it's it's like we're not even angry, like we're, I'm no. not even upset at I'm just reading this and being like, ah, so he thinks the men are outside the house and the women are in here and they come home and they're bored and the woman has to entertain them. And I'm like, this is it. This is what we've been talking about. <laughs> Literally, it's written in black and white right in front of us in language that a child could understand. Yes, because this is meant to instruct <laughs> the little boys and the little girls. Literally. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I just I thank you for coming on this little history journey because we couldn't we couldn't not we couldn't not. Do yeah. It. In regards to little girls, he also says that little girls are very valuable and that we should definitely go to them because they are typically more intuitive and better at communication. And so therefore you should value girls for this. And he goes on to describe how we should leave household things into their control and domain and goes on to say how little girls should really know and be experts in how to run through flowers because, of course, he's a poet. And they should also be experts <laughs> in reading, you know, nice books and also being able to sew and Even how to make fancy laces, fancy Italian laces. Because again, he's a poet, so he just has to, you know, put it that way. He can't just be like, girls should know how to sew. So anyway, he's even going on to describe the actual role of women in the home. Like, women are not just, like, we're not just saying women stay at home and, like, sit there and look pretty. It's also like, no, 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 you need to also do these things at home. Otherwise, like, you know, you're not being productive. You're not contributing to the society, right? That's what it's all about at the end. <laughs> and uh yeah i don't know look i'm not saying that these things are are followed to a t right now it's almost like you have to couch that into the relevance of the conversation and the conversation that we're having is today and now yeah like no so, one's telling me to go so yeah. no absolutely not <laughs> and i'm not saying that that this is at all even what little kids read now and that you know cuban parents are still you know out here being like oh little kids you know i'm not saying that this but, is how but, things uh, are actually minor minor adjustment 
Edad de Oro is still read today. La Edad de, exactly. <laughs> but La Edad de Oro is still read today. It is still considered major work of literature. Also, you know, I, I definitely don't want to steal credit away from parents. Like, you can have your kid read whatever and then still be like, hey... Uh, that book said this thing, but then also there are these other ways. To what look do you at think? This. Yeah, so, you know, <laughs> I I don't say that this is a bad thing or that we shouldn't be reading it, but I I want to say that in this moment in time, it really captures a portrait of what have been the values and the priorities in our society for a, such a long time before we got to the point where we started questioning these things, and that really starts to present itself as you know we grow up and become adults. We've certainly modernized quite a bit, and yet. Talking about this still feels really, really relevant because it contextualizes how I know I think about myself and how Cubans socialize with each other, how I socialize with my family, how I socialize with other Latinos, other Cubans. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of work is involved in recognizing how these structures are not actually ideal and they're a disservice to us. A lot of the times they increase the likelihood of more bad things happening. And th- these structures also tell men and women some pretty intense things like men or little boys you can grow up and be somewhat possessive of women you can grow up and and ask them to change or make themselves prettier for you you can ask them to stay at home and do their chores for you and they do not have to have an exactly an equal say at home when you you know if you marry them and for women we're internalizing the other side of that and so it's yeah, it doesn't lead to ideal circumstances. No, but I, I do think that I do think that a lot of people have, you know, as you said, modernized. So I think that even yeah. though that that's the that's the context that we're all working with, I do think a lot of really positive change is happening. And I'm yes. happy that even, you know, we feel comfortable enough to even have this conversation and broadcast it to like, you know, people that we don't know. Yeah. It's yeah, an immensely personal conversation. Of, we can just gripe about this, honestly, yeah. knowing knowing that you and I are both like happy and, and free and lovely and getting to do what we want to do in our lives. And that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Can't forget that. Love that. Absolutely. But at the same time, do you not remember coming home and finding your mother fully awake in her bata de casa? And I'm sorry because you said remember, but no, because this still happens to me and I'm 31. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, uh, yeah, my mom still waits up for me. me (laughs) When I say when I'm visiting, my mom still waits up for me. If I say I'm going to be home at 10 and I'm home at like 10.01, she's like waiting up for me in Bata de Casa being like, me estás haciendo la vida un yogurt. (laughs) You're making my life a yogurt. That's our guanismo of this episode because we're talking about we're talking about a lot of things that make your life on your good. It's kind of it's you are you are thoroughly inconvenienced is what that is. I want to say that I resent this. I love yogurt and if my life was yogurt, I would have no problems with this because theoretically speaking, nothing bad can come out of yogurt. I agree. Seconding that. Yeah, but anyway, it doesn't need to make sense. Uh, it's just some guanismo. <laughs> and we thought it was very appropriate because I've definitely heard this the most from my parents because they're always yes. complaining that yes, I'm yes, making yes, their yes. life a yogurt. <laughs> <laughs> and there have been so many times that I hear that and I almost want to ask, like, oh my God, what flavor? But I know I would get smacked. <laughs> oh my God, what flavor? Oh, I love that. Oh my God. Uh, definitely I would get smacked. 
thank you so much for hanging along for this. And a special thanks to our patrons, Andy, Elena, Carolina, Lauren, Gianni, Vidal, Christine, Dee, Derek, Ryan, Jose, Susan, Salia, Catherine, Lauren, Kaylee, Amaudi, Kristen, Sarah, Karena, Jason, Josh, Yvette, Kellis, and Jesse. Thank we you love so, so, you much. so much. We couldn't do this without you, our patrons. If you'd like to join this list, you can join us as a patron on patreon.com slash take it easy pod. You can follow us on social media. We are at take it easy pod everywhere. And you can email us at take it easy pod at gmail.com. Take it cheesy.